All right, what a great lead-in song. Um, I'm Jeff Ross. I'm one of the associate pastors here and uh, get the fun of preaching here sometimes and down the hill and uh, doing different things around the community. So uh, it's good to see you and welcome back. And um, we are have been in the, the middle of this Back to the Future uh, theme for a couple of weeks. So we're, uh, we're looking at the second chapter of Acts, verse 42 to 47, and one of the great uh, sort of dilemmas, struggles that the church has always had it, when it sort of tries to figure out where it's going and what it's doing is uh, to look back at this passage and say, well, here's what the early church was doing. Uh, and they got it right because look at all that happened from it. So how do we go back? What do we, uh, how can we learn from that? How can we take what they were doing and apply it today? And so we're going to look at a little bit of that. I know you've been doing that the last couple of weeks. We're going to do a little bit more of that today under the sort of uh, uh, the piece of it that talks about prayer. Uh, how, does, uh, how does prayer work? And so last week you, you spent a little time talking about community and uh, actually had to group up and talk to each other. Uh, so uh, this is kind of a lab uh, that we're doing. So today we're actually going to talk about prayer, but uh, we're not just going to talk about it, we're actually going to pray. And uh, so we'll kind of do a, a guided prayer uh, at the end, and, uh, and I think that uh, uh, that'll help us kind of figure out, uh, maybe lean into what the early church was, was trying to do with that. So let's look at the scripture again. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone because God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. The word of God for the people of God. So I want to walk back uh, through that, uh, kind of summarize a little bit. The fellowship in verse 42 was devoted to three things, right? Teaching, which we find down in verse 47, also included worship. It involved breaking bread. So we figure from that, that meant communion, probably often, but also just meals as we see as we go a little bit down. Uh, they, they ate together. They lived together. They sort of did life together. And then prayer was the third thing. And so those were the main components uh, that's lifted up in this passage as what was important, uh, what was noticed, what was remembered, what was talked about? What was unique? What was different? Uh, what was sort of intriguing uh, about this group of folks? Uh, verse 43 says, said, everyone was in awe of all that was happening. And so we get from that that people inside and outside, right? People inside the group were in awe. Look, 
look at all that's happening. Look what we're doing. Look what we're seeing. Look at the things that, you know, God's doing with us. That's incredible. And then uh, people outside were doing that too because it says in the very end that God's adding to their numbers daily. So there were people that were watching what was taking place and going, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Verse 44 said that everyone was doing life together. They, verse 45, they combined resources, gifts. Uh, uh, they would sell things, buy things, help somebody out. If this person was in need, they would sort of jump on that and help them out. If that person was, then they would do that. They would combine the resources that they had. 46, fellowship and food was integral to their lives. Imagine that. Um, we have to eat. And it's fun to, to do that together, to have friends uh, to share and to, to eat together with. And then finally, worship. Worship was integral to, the, to who they were and to what they did. So they came together. Prayer was a part of that. Teaching, learning, uh, trying to figure out who they were and what was going on. They were the new folks that were coming in, they were doing, they were teaching, guiding, getting them up to speed. The folks that had been around for a while were, were leading and teaching and passing on knowledge. Uh, they were focused on where they were going and the things that were happening. So, so this is the scene. There are 500, 5,000 folks growing every day uh, that had followed Jesus and knew him personally at this point, uh, and others that are coming along that didn't know him, that were asking questions, who was he, what was he like, uh, how do we do this? And so this model of the church, again, is something that we look back on, especially when churches are struggling, trying to figure out who they are, what to do, is what, what did they have? What were they doing? What was uh, important to them? And so uh, I kind of like to look at the surrounding scriptures and scenes and try to put, uh, especially when we're in worship, take a scripture like uh, these uh, five, six verses and put them into context uh, uh, and put them into uh, the context of what else is going on in the New Testament so that it fits. It's not just a standalone thing that we, maybe we take and look at and doesn't relate to the rest of it. So I want to kind of uh, spend a little time putting uh, where this passage is in context with the, the, the larger uh, whole of the New Testament. So if we go back into uh, Luke chapter 12, uh, there's a story there in verses 13 to 21 where two boys have just gotten an inheritance. And the, the laws of that day were sort of weighted heavily towards the older uh, child, the Basically, they got everything. They didn't have to share it with the younger child. And so that's what's happening. And so the, the two brothers, uh, uh, well, there was an inheritance. The older brother got it. And the younger brother comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, uh, tell my brother, make my brother uh, share this inheritance with me. He's got all this and he won't get, you know, I, I want, I, I need, I, I, I want stuff. <laughs> And so Jesus says, you know, you know, Jesus had to get all kinds of questions from everybody. Uh, you know, Jesus is a charismatic leader. He's, wow, Jesus is, he's cool, he's important, he's helpful. And so he, he had to get all kinds of, of people coming up to him, do this, do that. And Jesus, he shows a little frustration here. He says, who 
made me the, the judge over you and your brother? And you can tell Jesus is frustrated. So he says, let me tell you a story. And so he tells a story about a guy who has all kinds of riches. Uh, and he has a great harvest here. And so the guy's questioning, well, what should I do? I got so much stuff already, but this year has been the best year of my life. What do I do with all this extra stuff? And he goes, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And then I'll take all of my stuff and I'll put it in these bigger barns. And uh, Jesus says that God comes to him in the middle of the night and he says, yeah, your time's up. You're not going to get to enjoy the stuff that you have. And the point that Jesus is trying to make is that our focus needs to be on God, not on our stuff. That if we put everything in the right order, then the things that we need, the things that we want, they'll find a way to get there. But if we put everything in the wrong order, we'll just be confused and frustrated and angry and mad and fighting with our brother. Um, in Matthew 6, it says it a little different way. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will find its place. And so Jesus is constantly talking about uh, the order of things, leaning into what we need, where we're going, where we're headed. And he's doing that in a society that's often looking back. And so... And, and, and that's been the message, really not new with Jesus, but through the whole Old Testament, too, if you look really closely. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, don't trust your own gut. Trust God. Lean into God, and God will direct your paths and get you in the right places. So, again, it's putting God first, putting our priorities first, and then letting God uh, work out everything else. And so it's, it's interesting that Jesus, over and over and over, talks about leaning into the future. Jesus talks a lot about this kingdom um, that God is doing. What is God doing? Where is God taking us? Where are we headed? Where are we going? Uh, Jesus is pointing us in a new direction. Uh, he talks about wine and, and uh, old wineskins. You don't put old uh, uh, you don't put new wine in old wineskins, they'll break. Uh, so he's constantly trying to push people, get people to lean into where we're headed and where we're going, almost as if uh, uh, people are, are looking uh, for answers one way, and Jesus says, now look for them this way. Turn, lean into where we're going and where we're headed. And again, that's not new. In the Old Testament, Abraham and Moses are doing the same thing, right? God calls Abraham and he says, hey, I want you to go over here. And Abraham says, where, where is that? And God says, just, just follow me. Just go. And, I, and I'll show you. It, but, but go this way. Don't stay where you are. And so Abraham says, okay. And uh, just heads out. I mean, full of trust. So all through the Bible, Abraham is lifted up as this great, uh, amazing person of faith. Because God says, just pack up everything and go. And I, okay, I'll go. Uh, Moses, the same thing. He's taken the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. So again, we've got this great future. We've got this thing that God is doing, and we need to head in that direction. And it's almost as, as, as you read the story of Moses, as, as if he's dragging the Israelites with him. Oh, come on, come on. No, we don't want to go. We're scared. We don't know what's there. Uh, we're going to die. It's terrible. And Moses is going, good grief. Come on, folks. 
sucks. God's already said that the, our future is over here. Why are you stuck over there? At one point, the Israelites even go, they get so frustrated with Moses. They go, it would be better for us to still be in Egypt as slaves. Being a slave in Egypt was better than this. Moses had to just go, what? You gotta be kidding me. Being a slave in Egypt is, is better? Is the life that you would choose? Is the future that you would want? Well, again, Jesus is talking about this kingdom all through, all through life. Uh, he's talking about this kingdom. He's, he's trying to set folks in a direction. He's trying to move them uh, into this new place. He even says, you know, I've got to die. When uh, it gets to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, I've got to die. I've got to lay down. I've got to die. Uh, and then this promised Holy Spirit's going to come, and the Spirit's going to live in you, and you're going to do even more than, than I did. Uh, Jesus is preparing them for what's yet to come. Uh, and this hope <laughs> that he's looking at. Paul, Paul does the same thing in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. We put the past behind us, and we live into this new direction, new thing. Back in chapter 1 of Acts, where we are today, Jesus uh, is talking to the disciples, and it's kind of the big farewell. He's died and been resurrected. He's hung out with folks for uh, uh, a month or so. And then uh, Jesus is there with a, a group of folks, and he sort of levitates up into the heavens. And then there are two angels, I guess, appear. It says two guys dressed in white um, that just appear, and they, they, they ask kind of a silly question. Jesus is just levitated into the sky. Everybody's looking. I mean, you, you would. I mean, the person you're talking to just starts... Wow, that's kind of cool. That's not something you see every day. And so the guys, the two guys said, why are you looking up into the sky? And I guess I want to read into that, well, because well, that just never happens. I mean, we wouldn't turn away from that. Uh, but but the, the message is, you've got stuff to do. Stop gazing into the sky. Again, the whole message, Old and New Testament, is that God is moving us. God is doing stuff. God's future, God's hope for us is something that he's preparing, something that he's been working on, something that he has for you, has for me. Uh, God's doing things uh, that we need to get on board with and not get stuck looking back at what was in many cases. And so as we look at this whole back to the future, um, you remember what's going on in the movie. I'm sure y'all have uh, uh, talked about that a lot as uh, we've gone through this. So something in the present... And this is where it gets back to prayer. Something in the present is not right, right? Uh, Marty's family is disappearing from the picture. Uh, and so Marty and Doc are feeling anxiety about something that's happening. And so their solution, because it's a movie and they're able to do that, is to go back to the point in the past where this problem happened and fix it, right? That's not something that we can do. And even with the power of prayer, 
uh, that's not usually something that we can do. We can't go back and fix the problem, but yet that's where a lot of us spend a good bit of time in prayer, uh, lamenting, uh, sort of reliving, rehashing what happened and wanting God to go back and fix something that happened way back there. And it, and it seems to me that often when I talk to folks about prayer and what they're praying for and where they're stuck and, and what's going on in their lives, that they're stuck in the past, struggling with something that took place, a relationship that went bad, an event that went bad, uh, something that got off the rails, went, got off track, and, and how do I fix what happened back there? You know, it's interesting, there's a couple of... Uh, Physicist, uh, a guy from Copenhagen, Beck Nielsen, uh, and then a, 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 a colleague of his from uh, Tokyo, uh, that in uh, a few years ago uh, published an article in Time Magazine where they were saying that a lot of the the uh, uh, advancements in science were being sabotaged, and they, they made a case for uh, really weird things happening in different parts of the world, and their theory was that folks in the future were coming back to sabotage things that were happening uh, because the, the inventions that were being sabotaged were detrimental to people's lives in the future. Uh, so there are, there's, there's, I don't know, real science, I guess, that are, are saying that's, uh, that's what's causing some of the uh, mistakes and problems that we have. But, it, but it's interesting uh, when we get into this um, section of Acts. And when we look, as we often do, at this second chapter of Acts, and how is it that the church was so... Uh, prolific? How is it that the church was so amazing? How is it that God was just doing things and everybody was in awe? And how do we get that back? And, and what, do we, what are we missing? And what do we do? And how do we orient ourselves around what was happening there? Well, I think one of the things that's key is that they were looking forward. They weren't looking back. Um, they weren't like the Israelites wandering through the desert going, oh gosh, it would have been better if we just could go back to this time when everything was better. They were, they were embracing what Jesus had talked about and, and they were embracing where the future look and posture uh, that Jesus had uh, prepared for them. It appears that one of the marks of the early church was that they weren't looking back. They were looking forward. They were uh, joining together. Uh, they were in communion with one another. Uh, they were in worship with one another. And they were excited about what God was doing in that place and where they were headed. And they were being taught that Jesus was talking often most always about this coming kingdom, about what God was doing with us, about where we're headed, not where we've been. And so their prayer, I believe, was also forward-focused, praying for where God was taking us. How do we understand what's happening now, uh, and how do we use that? They could have spent all of their time in prayer lamenting Jesus' resurrection or, or uh, uh, crucifixion. 
But we don't get the sense that they were lamenting Jesus' crucifixion at all. They were worshiping this resurrected Christ and what God was doing in their midst and where God was taking them into the future. Um, the serenity prayer. Many of y'all know that prayer. God grant me the serenity or, or the peace or the uh, uh, comfort to accept the things that I cannot change, to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That prayer is incredible because it talks about just what we've been talking about this morning. There are things we can change and things we can't change. But so often prayer, again, is uh, lamenting, struggling, uh, trying to fix something that causes, causes us anger or fear or anxiety or hurt or discomfort uh, or unhappiness. And our way of praying is to try to figure out how we can go back to that thing we said that was just the worst thing we could ever say and undo it. And, and we sort of obsess over that sometimes, don't we? Uh, what we did or what somebody did to us or we just relive and, and play that tape over and over again instead of, okay, I can't change that. I can't go back in time as, even as much as I'd like to and I wish that was real and I could get that car and I could go back to that date and I could make it all better. I can't do that. And so how do we live into where we're headed? So this morning, I don't want to just talk about prayer theoretically. Um, I'd like us to kind of walk through a prayer. Um, some of you have done guided prayers before. And so uh, I, I'm just going to make some suggestions and kind of get you to to move in a, a direction, and, but I want you to just sort of let God take you wherever that may be. We're going to spend a couple of minutes uh, doing this. Um, there are lots of guided prayer resources uh, online and in the church and, and other places, and so if this feels like something helpful to you, uh, talk to me or Shauna or, or We'll help you find uh, some, some resources for that. I know that anytime we do a group activity, there are folks that go, oh, this is great. And other folks go, is, is this over yet? Um, but I, I, I want you just to kind of put yourself into this uh, and walk through it and, uh, and uh, see what God might do. So kind of get in a comfortable position. Um, Close your eyes, focus on something in here. Um, and I want you to try to face the future, whatever that means. Try to imagine the future. Try to face the future. And as you face the future, what does that look like? What presents itself? What is your heart and your mind drawn to?
What do you notice? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So what is the way that you see opening up, the path ahead? Jesus says, I am the truth. So what's the truth you need to hear? The truth you need to tell yourself? The truth you need to see or believe? What's the truth that Jesus wants you to see, not the lie that the world tells you. And what's the life, the way, the truth, and the life? What's the life that God has for you? What's the hope? Not what you're settling for, but what you dare to dream, what in your wildest dreams might be possible. This morning we sang that God is the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, light in the darkness. So what's the way forward? What way is God making? What's a miracle that would have to happen for that way to be realized. What's the promise? Maybe that you're holding on to a scripture, a prayer, a a belief. That God's given you a hope that you hang on to.
And what's the light? The end of the tunnel. If there's a darkness that you're in right now, where is there just a little bit of light? How can you walk towards that light? What are the resources that you have to walk towards that light? What's the help that you need? Who is somebody? that could coach you, that could help you walk, that could encourage you. Who is an ally, a friend, someone you can trust? In Ephesians, Paul shares this great doxology. Remember that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And his power, God's power, is at work in us to guide us into that future. So what's the hope that you're hesitant to even imagine or to ask for? What stands in the way? What obstacle seems to keep presenting itself as you look into the future. What's blocking the path? What keeps you from leaning into hope? Imagine that Jesus is walking with you, holding your hand. And you come to that barrier, that obstacle. Can you see Jesus taking it, moving it away, moving it off to the side, smiling at you? grabbing your hand and continuing on the path, walking ahead into this future that's hard to even imagine. What would that be like? How does that feel?
God, thank you for the image of this church in the second chapter of Acts. Looking forward, expecting great things, feeling an awe about what you're doing and how you're at work in their lives and situations all around them. We pray that you would help us as we pray to at least spend enough time looking forward, looking to what's possible, seeing you coming alongside of us to help, guide, lead, provide the way, for you're the way, the truth, and the life. You're leaning into the future. You're leaning into our future. You don't want us stuck in the past. The past helps us find a better path for the future. God, I thank you for folks this morning that are seeing you lead them open doors, find ways to move forward. Give us the courage to take those steps. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.